Hey everyone, it's Peach. Before we get the episode going, I just wanted to say a couple of things. First thing, we just wanted to say thank you for being patient with us. It's been quite a few weeks since we put out our last episode. Between some audio challenges I'm about to describe and the holidays, it was just a little bit longer of an adventure than it normally is. So again, thank you for being patient with us. The second thing is, like I just mentioned, the audio recordings were not as kind to us as they usually are. For the most part, the episode sounds okay, but you're going to hear a lot of crackling when the three of us are speaking, and there wasn't too much that I could do about that. So I just wanted to give you some warning in advance so you know what you're getting into here, and that is it. I will stop talking. I have no more of a preview to give you. Thank you again for your patience, and I hope you enjoy this episode. There was an idea. Romamu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out. I for the faster baby. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. The show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo, and we have got the Sound Lord himself, Chris, joining us, as well as the Peach Man, Peaches, Peacherson, the third. What's going on, guys? Don't dox me right here, man. <laughs> Tell everybody my full lineage. Damn, my bad, dude. Now we know there were two Peaches Petersons before you. <laughs> we come from a long line of, uh, well, I guess it's a long line of three, because um, I have not produced any Peach Petersons. Three, three can be long. I mean, it depends on how old my dad is and how yeah. old his dad is. Yeah, I that's guess true. that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, nobody look me up, okay? Leave me out of this. <laughs> Peterson's uh, home address is. <laughs> we're going to be talking today about the season finale of Hawkeye. So this is Christmas. It's directed by Reese Thomas and written by Eliza Laments Clement. So we start at a party inside a tracksuit hideout. Wilson Fisk, dressed in a white suit and wielding a diamond-topped cane, meets with Eleanor Bishop. And right off the bat, we need to talk about Kingpin. And Kingpin in this episode and Kingpin's effects throughout the whole show because i think he's alluded to many times he's talked about many times what are you hi teddy okay <laughs> uh he's he's talked about many times he just opened the door the door was closed he wanted to talk about kingpin he heard kingpin he's, he's like, like give me in sign me up <laughs> i can be a pizza dog i love pizza <laughs> he kind of looks like lucky honestly he kind of does yeah so we gotta talk about kingpin and Kingpin's effects throughout this show. I think we have recently seen a form of specifically Marvel media that brings back people from the past, villains from the past, and really expands upon them and lets them be central figures in the story. Whereas this, to me, didn't feel like a satisfying use of Kingpin. I thought Kingpin, it was cool that he showed up, but I really dislike the holding the villain to the finale. I really, Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin 
I, in my opinion, works best when he can like simmer over several episodes and really kind of get in and be this really, he's like such an interesting character and he kind of just shows up at the end here and is like, it's me, the bad guy. And then, you know, you kind of sort of like, it felt a little rushed to me in that regard. I, I think Kingpin is such a cool character. And yet in this one, it feels like, I don't know, he didn't, he was so, there was nothing interesting about him besides the performance, right? The performance obviously mm. is wonderful because Vincent D'Onofrio is doing a great job, but he doesn't he doesn't do anything, right? He shows up. He's like, I'm sorry, Maya, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, uh, Kate, let's fight. Ah, it's like an arrow to my goddamn chest. Ah, and then he's out. And then he gets shot in the face. And that's his whole purpose in the show. And I just, I don't know. I, I felt, I felt this way about the Star Wars shows for a while. And I think Disney Plus is heading this way in general. I don't want these shows just to be venues for there just to be callbacks and to have no real substance to them. And I I like the idea of Kingpin being in this show, but if he's going to be in this show, I want him in this show. I don't want him to be this sort of carrot that you have on a stick throughout five other episodes to be like, are we going to see him? Is he going to be there? And they're like, oh, there he is at the last episode. Like, no, you should have introduced him earlier on and had him be a central figure in the show and maybe cut out some of the fat of some of these other characters that maybe shouldn't have been in there in the first place. Are we in a spot right now in the calendar year that mm-hmm. we feel okay assuming that our listeners have have seen the latest Marvel movie? Yeah, I think that's fine. And I think yeah. I think the people that listen to this podcast if you have not, you know, we could just say no. If you haven't seen the new Spider-Man, turn the podcast off until you see it. But we're going to take the assumption that the people who are listening to the show went out and saw Spider-Man yeah. within the first few weeks of it being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's been enough time. I just wanted to make sure, because I almost feel like with the Matt Murdock reveal, the small snippet of Matt Murdock reveal, that they almost wanted to time their on-screen reveals at roughly the same moment. And it wasn't exactly the same moment because the finale of Hawkeye and the release date of Spider-Man were on two separate days, but only a couple days apart. And so I almost feel like it was like, hey, if you know for a fact that we got Vincent D'Onofrio, now you're probably really thinking we for sure got Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock. And when is he going to show up? And I almost feel like they timed that intentionally. But I I agree with you. It's kind of weird to have Kingpin from the Netflix series only kind of be a cameo in a way. Like he was more than a cameo in the last episode, but in the series as a whole. Because you're right. Part of the effectiveness of the Netflix shows is that you watch him just make you and everybody else super uncomfortable episode after episode and then you're like man this guy intimidates me because of how uncomfortable he makes me and then he's just in this episode where he's now i think it works for the show because this show operates like a comic book where he's like punching kate bishop and she's flying across the room and like it's very comic booky but i almost feel like it's um it's kind of a strange transition for him to go from guy that bashed another guy in with (laughs) his head in with a car door to Hawaiian shirt wearing Falcon punch man. I like the Hawaiian shirt. 
I'm not saying yeah, it's, anything it's bad right, about yeah. the Hawaiian shirt. I'm I think saying there were, it's but weird. there were a lot of people that didn't like the Hawaiian shirt. They said, you know, oh, okay. they were you're like, this can't be the same. Right. A lot of people yeah. on the internet, they're like, this can't be King, the same Kingpin. He would never wear this hideous Hawaiian shirt. I'm like, wait, hang on a second. Yeah. Not that this is necessarily justification, but that costume did come from a Spider-Man comic, that mm-hmm. Hawaiian shirt. I, I was fine with it. I, I could see him wearing different things, yeah. even though it made me think of I don't know if you've ever seen the Simpsons episode where they they call this guy on the phone and he's like Krusty's secret accountant in the Bahamas or something, but he's this larger guy in a white suit of the Hawaiian shirt and he's like, oh crap, I shouldn't have said that it was a secret. Oh crap, I certainly shouldn't have said it was illegal. Oh crap. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it reminded me of. But talking about Kingpin, uh, you know, beyond the Hawaiian shirt, I think i i mostly agree with you eduardo it was very exciting for me to see kingpin i'm very glad that i have now seen daredevil or at least the first season and i'm definitely going to go back and, and finish the rest of that stuff now uh you know I'm, I'm doubly excited for more daredevil and hopefully more kingpin down the line uh i would just get this out of the way now we all assume that he survived yes yeah definitely yeah i think i don't even think he got shot i i know that there's a comic book reference there uh-huh. I feel like because they didn't even show, they showed Maya pointing the gun, then off, where they're not showing the either of them anymore, you hear the gunshot. I think that the way, okay, let me just, do you have a prediction? Or are you about to say a prediction? Uh, not really. Okay, I, was, I, wanna, I was just. I didn't want to step in front of your point. Yeah, you're not stepping. I was just bringing up that we think he survived so that when I talk about future Kingpin, I don't sound like a crackpot. Yeah, I think the Echo Show is going to start with that scene. The opening scene of Echo is going to be that scene. We're going to watch it again as like a recap of what happened, but also an intro to that show. And you're going to see again her point the gun at his face. He's like, no, don't. We're family. And then she'll shoot right off to the side. I don't think she's going to shoot him in the face. I think she's going to shoot next to his face. And that's how that show will open. You're not going to introduce Vincent to not. You're not going to be like, hey, we brought him back and then kill him. Yeah, you know, so he's definitely not dead. And anyone that thinks he's dead, you're wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sorry to be that guy on the Internet that is forceful about his opinion, but you're wrong. (laughs) But but it was great seeing, you know, his performance because it was so clearly that kingpin. I mean, and and we talked about in the Daredevil episodes that we did just how interesting his choices are in that role. And, you know, the. I was just watching that first scene where he's talking to Eleanor. I was like, oh, God, this is this is totally Kingpin. This is so great. And he's got like the little twitch in his face. He's a little awkward in how he's talking. Seems kind of emotionally stunted, but still terrifying. And what was interesting for me was watching it with Angela. She has not watched Daredevil. So the only Kingpin that she's familiar with is she's seen Kingpin in Into the Spider-Verse and Kingpin in the Spider-Man video game for PS4. So this was her introduction to the D'Onofrio kingpin, and it was not at all what she was expecting, but, but, you know, she, she enjoyed it, but yeah, it, a character like kingpin, I get that they didn't, I don't know. I, I, I love Marvel studios, obviously, otherwise I wouldn't be, you know, co-hosting a podcast about it. And I love being surprised. I love secrets, but kingpin, I think would have worked better as a character. And I understand that they, and like as a character, I mean, like, who was present throughout the series. You know, his presence was felt, but it was also still kind of being played as like a 
playful mystery of like, ooh, who's the big guy? You know, who who runs Fat Man Auto Mechanics? You know, it it was they were teasing it along as a mystery, which only works for people who are actually familiar with Kingpin. And I I don't know how that would play to someone who isn't. And while it's safe to assume a lot of people know about Kingpin, it it, it doesn't necessarily work. And then. You know, I thought the reveal at the end of the last episode of the previous episode was great. I loved that. The way they did it was a lot of fun. But would I trade that to have a more present and interesting pink kingpin throughout the whole series? Yes, I would. Absolutely. And one, just because more Vincent D'Onofrio is always better. And, and, and two, because he would have felt like part of the show and not like something else. Uh, he he doesn't really he never even interacts with Clint at all. Correct? Nope. I don't think so. Yeah, think he has a fight with Clint Kate. Was near him. He had gotten away. Yeah, he has a fight with Kate, so he does interact with one of the main characters at least. But they do a lot of stuff with Maya, who I know they're setting her up for her own show, but she never really came into her own. I think even completely as a full character. Like I will watch echo because i will watch anything they put out but you know if you told me now oh yeah maya they're giving her a tv show i would say really okay sure i'll you know i you know there's nothing that about this show that made me excited to watch that except for the idea that kingpin's gonna be in it that's that's the selling point for me right now is that oh kingpin's probably gonna be in that and you know there's a chance that matt murdoch i'm more excited about these other characters and I am about the title character. And that's, that's, you know, kind of a problem. And that's a criticism that people levy at the MCU a lot. That isn't always fair, but I think it is in this case. So yeah, it, it felt like they were, you know, they had a lot of secrecy around him. I don't know if you've read any of the interviews with Vincent D'Onofrio or any of the, you know, directors or writers, but they talked about how even the costume designer, like the script had a fake villain in it. And the costume designer is like, hey, uh, what what uh, costume? How do we want to approach this? And they said, oh, we're going to talk to you separately about that because that's going to be something else. So they had less time to put throw together the Kingpin costume than they did for anything else. Which, to be fair, you know, they could very easily go off of what they had on Netflix. But still, you know, they they were so keen to make him a secret, just like they did with the Spider-Man villains and the other Spider-Men, that... You know, I almost feel like they, you know, could have shown him off in a trailer and just been like, hey, we're bringing back Kingpin. And instead of having fun with the reveal, having us go, oh, how's he going to fit into this? And then actually fit him into it. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because we've talked about on the show how on this show specifically, how there was like like a surplus of villains and we didn't know how it was going to turn out. Right. Because eduardo immediately suspected eleanor we were all like is jack a real villain or is he like just a silly man like we have yelena who we didn't know how was going to turn out we had echo who we didn't know how that was going to turn out and then kingpin and then everyone except kingpin i'm not saying that they fizzled but they kind of like became not a villain anymore they all like had like a change in this episode so it's like well, I guess we kind of have to put it on Kingpin instead of being more of a cameo or something, because I think it works that way, too. Right. You either put him throughout the whole series, like you just said, Chris, and like, let us get excited for it in advance and then make him like a pivotal villain. Or you do what you did at the end of episode five and you leave it. You know, you just 
hey, look, Kingpin's in the shadows and he's operating this whole thing. And in the future, now that you guys know that Kingpin is part of this, we make him a, a integral part of season two. But they did exactly in the middle, right? They, they're they like, we're not going to tell you. We're going to make it a reveal. And then he's just going to be a major part of episode six, but not very threatening. You know, it's kind of strange. Yeah, I think the, the show, to me, had a villain problem where there just wasn't a compelling antagonist. Because they almost picked a new antagonist every episode. And so they were like episode antagonists, but there was not one for the show as a whole. So while each episode can stand maybe a little firmer on its own, it then loses it as a series as a whole, especially since we're here at the finale, because there was no real antagonist that we were following. It also just felt like there weren't, I hate this term because it's used very uh, loosely in people talking about movies, but it felt like there weren't any stakes throughout basically the whole series like there wasn't ever anything super pressing it was just clint and kate sort of being detectives and then at the very end they show up to a party and that's where everything sort of happens but there wasn't ever anything that like i don't know to get invested in because there was no central antagonist It, it, it felt a little disjointed i think maybe i'm off base here maybe you can agree with me i don't know I wouldn't have hated if they would have just cut the entire Maya plotline out of the whole series and just had Kingpin the whole time. Like, I think the show maybe would have been better for it. I think a lot of these shows try to add a ton. I think the only show that isn't guilty of this is maybe Loki because Loki's, all the other characters in Loki were just Loki. But I think WandaVision had a little bit of this, of maybe too many characters, too many stories. Like, But WandaVision, I think, played it a lot better and um, was definitely a lot more focused towards the end. I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier had way too many characters and should have just focused on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, I think uh, Loki maybe did the best job out of all of them, but this one also, too many characters, too many spinning plates. And to, at the end, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't feel compelled by any of them. Yeah, I, I get why they included Maya in the show. I think there are some, you know, great thematic things to do. You know, having a parallel of her as a deaf person, and then you know, Clint as a hard of hearing person. You know, there are some parallels there, uh, and I think the idea of exploring somebody who has a vendetta against Clint because of what he did in his time as Ronan is compelling if they had committed to it. But they shoved his, they shoved her, the target of her anger onto fisk in the end uh this is what we talked about last week or last last episode was like you know are they gonna really commit to this ronin stuff and i feel like they didn't they they you know by the end she was like all right i guess i'm fine with this guy Uh, i'm gonna go shoot my uncle in the face or next to the face depending on (laughs) how you saw the scene face face adjacent (laughs) face jason I will fire a gun in the alley while I am next to my t- next to Uncle Fisk, and uh, you know, in whoa, three years, whoa, whoa, you can wait. find out what happened. Eduardo played bass for "I Will Fire a Gun in the Alley" while I'm next to Mr. Fisk. <laughs> I'll fun in the uh, I'll fire a gun in the alley while I'm next to Mr. Fisk is my favorite Panic at the Disco song. <laughs> <laughs> Are yeah, we legally I, allowed to say that, <laughs> Brendan Yuri? Can we say that? Yeah, he'd be fine. He's he's a Twitch streamer. Is he? I don't know if it's Twitch What's or with, YouTube. What but... is with us finding out? I mean, I guess you already knew. What is with me finding out lately that like a bunch of major vocal artists and actors are like Twitch streamers? Why do you need to be on Twitch? That's maybe rude of me to say, but it feels <laughs> weird that they're on Twitch. 
They had to do something when they couldn't tour. I guess. But uh, but yes, so so I get the inclination to put Maya in the show, and I feel like they just didn't quite stick the landing on that. There, And I do think there were stakes throughout the show. I just think they didn't do a good enough job of making us care about a lot of those stakes, like the damn watch. You know, they they didn't explain enough because it had to be another mystery, which we will talk about at the end of this episode. So it didn't really care if you found the watch. You know, I cared when I was like, oh, gosh, Clint thinks that someone has taken up Ronan, the Ronan mantle again. That's interesting. Uh, you know, Kate trying to figure out what's going on with her family. I think that's interesting. But I think that you're all you're not wrong to say that they kind of threw so many things in the pot that. You know, we never really latched onto something as the central conflict of this show. Yelena. I mean, I'm glad Yelena was in the show. Yelena should be in everything. But, you know, she showed up for a couple episodes and it was like, this is a new thing. And now we're going to deal with that. And, and, you know, and a lot of this stuff wasn't bad either. Some of it was pretty good. And we're going to see at the end. I really enjoyed this series as a whole. And I hope there's a second season and I hope we see all these characters again. But what the show was about, I mean, what the show was really about was Clint and Kate getting to know each other and and the mentorship there. And as that goes, so goes the show. And I do think that for for the most part, that stuff was so good that it smooths out the rough edges of everything that the show didn't necessarily do as well. And made it overall a very enjoyable series for me. But that's not to say that the show is without criticism at all. I thought the show had the potential, uh, you know, give you a little peek at our series rankings ahead of time. Going into the finale, there was a thought in the back of my mind that Hawkeye, if the if the series finale had been, you know, great, that I might rank it higher than Loki in my final rankings. And, uh, huh. We will see. I, well, I think I've kind of showed my hand already. It did not end up surpassing Loki in my final rankings. You know, the fact that it was in conversation is, you know, great praise of the show. But, you know, it did. It, in the end, it just had enough that didn't quite work as well for me. That it didn't quite get there. But, you know, still in the, you know, I would still, you know, if, if we were doing tier lists, I would still, you know, put this in the bottom of the S, top of the A tier of disney plus marvel shows so far if we're going to tier list i cry because of watch i didn't like the watch storyline either (laughs) anyway their conversation establishes that eleanor has been working under fisk for years to pay off a debt owed by her husband while also making i forgot that's how far we were into the episode (laughs) yeah we were not in the episode we barely were there (laughs) while also making a profit for bishop security (laughs) eleanor tells fisk she killed armand duquence and framed jack as fisk asked duquesne Duquesne, but that she wants out of their relationship now that kate (laughs) aa ron now that kate and clint barton are snooping around in her office their business excuse me she lets fisk know she's been keeping blackmail material on him in case he attempts to retaliate fisk warns her to think about what she's doing but she walks away see that's that right there is where fisk immediately kind of felt not to sorry to go immediately back to kingpin that's where he felt inconsistent because she's like threatening this man she's like i've got receipts i'm doing what i want you can't stop me and he just sat there and listened to her that is not that is not netflix's kingpin the blip mellowed he would have picked up he would have picked up the chair that was sitting next to him and chucked it at her face like 
not that I wanted to see that. I, it just didn't feel like him for I that mean, reason. Like, you're getting bullied. I haven't seen season three of Daredevil, but maybe he goes on some sort of character evolution that changes him into not throwing chairs at people. I want to see what he evolves into. Uh, probably uh, some sort of... what? What's the evolution of Snorlax? Is there one? I don't think there um, is one. Does he have a mega... There- there's Munchlax and then there's Snorlax. And then he he has a if... he does have a mega evolution where oh, he turns mega Snorlax where he is just like really big and then there's like a whole like island on his tummy. You know what I you know what I found when I googled this? Hmm. <laughs> I found those giant Snorlax Snorlax beanbag chairs. I've always wanted one of those. Same. Oh, they look so Absolutely. fluffy. Anyway, Kate watches a video of the conversation set by Yelena. She tries to tell Clint to go home to be with his family for Christmas, but Barton insists on sticking with her until this is finished, calling her his partner. That night, Fisk meets with Maya Lopez and Kazi. Fisk acts like a warm father figure to Maya, who tells him she has decided to stop hunting Ronan and needs a few days off. Fisk grants that, saying he loves her. Here, another antagonist problem is that if we are going to have a central antagonist for this show, if we're going to say there was one, it was Maya, right? Maya was the antagonist for most of the show. And then at the last episode, they're like, all right, Maya, Kingpin's here. Go be away for a while until we need you at the end of the episode. Yeah, it, no, I, I agree. They ended her story a little bit too soon. Right. So they could bring in Kingpin so we could all go, oh my God, it's Kingpin. Right. And it almost worked. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sad about seeing Kingpin. I'm sad that the stories just didn't, they don't end up lining up and, and being as powerful because they needed to have this like, here it is, the thing you've been looking for. It's weird, too, because she didn't even get really introduced until the end of episode three, was it? So it's like she really only got three episodes. She was in the last episode, so she she actually got four. But her arc that we mostly cared about ended at the end of episode five when they had that fight in the parking lot. Right. As soon as she leaves, Fisk shows his anger to Kazi, frustrated about an Avenger showing interest in his operations. Eleanor tries to quit, and Maya turning on them. He tells Kazi that people need to be reminded that the Kingpin owns this city. In a montage, Clint teaches Kate how to manufacture a variety of trick arrows. I really like this scene of them just, like, making arrows. I thought it was really fun. Once the arrows are complete, they head to Bishop Security Holiday Party in 30 Rockefeller Plaza to find Eleanor with the NYC LARP group working for them undercover as caterers. Jack attends the party with a cl- uh, clad with a sword out of prison on bail. Yelena also sneaks into the party as a guest, while Kazi sets up a sniper across the way. Did you also get super bad vibes from that scene where Jack talks to the littler version of Jack? Yes. And he's like, do you remember when you peed your pants in the Hamptons? <laughs> People don't I forget. didn't forget. People don't forget. <laughs> People don't forget. So that was in the fourth grade. <laughs> Kate pulls Eleanor into the kitchen and shows her the video of the fist conversation to get her to confess. Uh, while the bishops talk, Clint notices a sniper sight light and narrowly avoids being shot by Kazi. He has the LARPers evacuate the party guests and grabs his gear, including the costume made for him by the LARPers, while Yelena runs after him. Clint uses a gas arrow to chase Kazi out of, out of his sniper spot and descends into the skyscraper. Kate tells Eleanor to stay put while she tries to stop Yelena from getting to Barton. Tracksuits descend on 30 Rock and are met by the LARPers who have switched into costume and show off their fighting skills. That was, that was kind of fun, too. 
I agree. They're not paying attention to us. Let's dress up as medieval people. <laughs> oh, I wrote in here to for me to interrupt you so that I didn't forget. It. This is this wasn't a full point, so I didn't write it in the notes. As people that have worked in, um, so okay, let me back up for a second. The Larpers are, if we remember from the first couple episodes when we met them, they are like firefighters and police officers and and people that are, you know, generally responsible for for taking care of people in stressful situations. And we see uh, that they are trying to help evacuate and keep people safe. And it's just like not working while they're in their, their like server costumes. And that to me just struck a chord as, as people that have at some point worked in a form of crowd control at a major theme park wearing similar outfits to them on busy holidays trying to get people to move in a specific direction not necessarily in an emergency but trying to get people to flow in a certain way throughout the park and just not being listened to and then the larpers are like maybe we need to put on a different costume and someone will listen to us (laughs) kind of just reminded me of that part of our lives (laughs) i don't know if that resonated with you guys too i didn't think about that but that makes sense yeah, yep. it, they're just like n- everyone is not paying attention to them. It's like, oh, the love the person with the different costume comes over and you listen to them. Maybe we should put on that costume. It's true. The LARPers also get assistance from Jack showing off fantastic sword skills. Kate and Yelena chat about going out for drinks while simultaneously fighting their way through the building. Yelena is nearly able to shoot Clint while tethered outside, but Kate is able to stop her and Barton escapes. Bishop uses Yelena's tether to reach the street level, where she is ambushed by tracksuits, but it is a vastly superior hand-to-hand fighter and able to hold her own easily. Clint is also ambushed, though easily able to beat an overconfident Kazi, then brings the ceiling down on several more tracksuits with remote bomb arrows before escaping via zipline into the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. I want to take a quick pause. Uh, Peaches, you've been reading the Hawkeye comics, yes? Yeah, I got to... I think i just finished issue seven or eight it was going i was reading like one issue a night and uh-huh. then eduardo introduced me to legends of runeterra and now <laughs> and now basically anytime i boot up my tablet i open legends of runeterra first uh-huh. and then i'm stuck there for hours i apologize well have it's you have you really gotten good. the comics kazi yet no i have not met kazi yet so okay. in the issue that i'm in i think based i don't always read the like letters to the editor stuff at the end uh-huh but in this one the the issue that i just read was so different from the rest of them that i was like i wonder if there's a reason for this and it sounded like whenever the the crew was writing that issue there was some like hurricane that was impacting yes. their their writing yeah i think that's when the hurricane uh was it sandy that hit new jersey and new york that sounds right yeah and so that whole issue was like it was Kate doing her thing while the hurricane was happening and Clint doing his thing while the hurricane was happening. Yeah. And it didn't have anything to do with the rest of the story that had been happening so far. So that's as far as I got. Um, but okay. I haven't met Kazi yet. In fact, I've really only met a few of the like you. I think you meet Ivan and just like some generic tracksuit bros mm-hmm. at this point. And you've met Grills because you sent a picture. Grills. Yeah, well, Grills is a main very, very different issue. Yes, yeah, very different. But yeah, Kazi in the comics, I, 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 I won't spoil anything for you too much. I'm just gonna say he is an extremely different 
he wears like clown makeup and is like this weird assassin. It's very strange. Oh, I didn't realize it was the same character until like three episodes later. Like, oh, oh, I don't want to. I don't know if I want to see clown makeup. (laughs) I'm afraid. Yeah, no, I'm really enjoying. I, 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 it's funny to. So it's a little late. It's not at the same time, but it's cool to be reading the comic run that this series is based off. As we're watching the series, it just it feels like they did a fun when I read the issue that you talked about earlier on in our podcasts with the car chase in it. I was like giddy the whole time because I was like, right? wow, this scene is cool in both mediums. This is an awesome scene. So, yeah, it's it's a fun read. I definitely recommend it so far. Again, I'm only like eight issues in out of what, like 22. It's like oh, yeah, a 22 like series 20, run. 20, 22, 25, 26, something like that. And also, I can't believe I'm going to say this because I would never guess that I would say this, but I kind of want to like cosplay as Hawkeye from that run because it's just like purple Converse, blue jeans, and a purple shirt with like some bandages. Yeah. Easy. Maybe get a like a kid's bow and arrow, like a play nerf bow and arrow or something. (laughs) Kate uses acid arrows to bring down uh, the tree on the ice skating rink, and the two are surrounded by the ice of dozens of tracksuits. Using teamwork and a host of trick arrows and some great tracking shots, the two systematically take out the bros with gas, slime, electromagnets, explosions, needles, sleeper darts, and a pin particle arrow that shrinks a truck, which is subsequently carried away by an owl. Okay, when I saw this scene, when you guys play video games, I know you play video games the same way that I do. You play a game where you can collect resources of different kinds of things, and you just hoard everything. Yes, you keep I everything agree. and everything and everything, and then at the very end, you know you're at the last boss or the last encounter, so you just sort of use everything. That's what this fight felt like to me. It felt like here's, that. Here's how, here's how bad I am in video games. I've been playing uh, Pokemon... Uh, Shining Pearl. I decided to to pick that up. And, you know, I'm still fairly early in the game, but I am the guy who's like, well, I have 20 super potions, but if I just teleport back to the Pokemon Center, I don't have to use it. Yep. I'm not that far. But then, yeah, yeah at the end, it's like, well, I got all these things. Let me just throw yeah. through the kitchen sink. I To be fair, I think a lot of a lot of us have played games for so long, and this is not me really boasting i just think it has to do with our experience that like we find items in games and we don't ever really feel like we need to use them because we kind of know what we're doing most of the time but also you have me like 98 percent correct eduardo i do that but then when i get to the last boss i still don't use the items because i don't want them to disappear from my inventory (laughs) i just want to keep them okay well, good for I'm you. A hoarder. I'm not like all that. Right? I will use yeah. on the last boss. I'll use everything because I'm like, what else am I doing with all this stuff? Listen, man, if you get to Sephiroth in Final Fantasy VII and you've held on to the 37 grenades that you found in the beginning of the game, you throw a grenade at Sephiroth, he's just gonna laugh at you. Like, there's no reason to use that. <laughs> I don't know that's true. Maybe in speedrunning, grenades will hurt him. I don't know. No, he slices the grenade in half somehow. Oh, very anime. Good for him. I mean. Final Fantasy is basically anime. Yeah. So, Peach, you got a lot of stuff you want to talk about here. Uh, One, I think, is pretty prudent to talk about right now with all the explosions and needles and electromagnets. They were murdering people on this ice rink. It's interesting. As we talk about this, I'm kind of uh, re-realizing that, like, phases one through three of the MCU were, like, 
the Thanos story, right? And now we're at the beginning of whatever the next story is because these TV series are all in the in the middle of of phase four, and we we can assume that this will end up leading up to something eventually, right? Is that that's like the general consensus? General consensus, and so. I'm kind of getting vibes here of the early MCU. We talked about in a lot of those early episodes that the the some of the entries in the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe are very much just action movies that just happen to have comic characters in them. And they're some of some of them for that reason are well executed and others aren't. But one thing that they did in those movies, specifically like Iron Man, Iron Man 2, is like they just straight up murdered people. There was like no again, all of these all of these movies and shows have like implied murder, right? I'm not saying that none of the other Marvel entries people don't die. Like people die. It's part of action movies. That's that's how it is. But it's never quite as it's not quite as obvious in the later half of the Marvel stuff, right? This one, this scene really felt like it was we're going to show you these people are definitely dying, right? Like how many of those arrows didn't kill the people that were they were shot at? I think it's I think the amount that didn't die is lower than the amount that died. That spinning needle arrow definitely field like field felt like it killed people. Immediately after there's there's an ice arrow that Clint shoots at a dude's leg and his whole ass leg just freezes like that dude does not have a leg after that point. I guarantee his leg just shatters a bunch of explosion arrows. I, I, I would even be willing to bet that that one that wraps the dude in like an electric belt probably did some permanent damage that maybe killed him. I don't know. Maybe I'm overanalyzing it like that. This should have killed them thing on YouTube. I don't know the name of that channel, but I, I specifically am thinking of the Home Alone episode where like both the wet bandits should have died like 20 times each. But I don't know. It feels very early MCU to me. We're like, we're just cool with murder, which is an interesting concept when you pair it with Hawkeye for every other episode in this season, sort of feeling weird about his past life as the Ronin and that he did some terrible things and he's not really willing until he develops a better relationship with Kate, he's not really willing to talk that much about this other life because he's ashamed of what he has done. And then he just kills a bunch of tracksuit bros. And Kate helps him kill a bunch of tracksuit bros. She fires some of those arrows that are deadly and is like, I'm a murderer now too. We're both Hawkeye. <laughs> See, and I think this is why you're supposed to assume it doesn't kill them. Uh, and you can, it's probably not, you know, explained enough but i think we're supposed to think of this almost like cartoon logic like because these trick arrows are ridiculous and goofy and you know it's one of those things where it breaks down if you think too hard about it but i do think that you're supposed to you know maybe the exception of the guys that got stolen by an owl uh you know to be fed (laughs) to um i think for the most part you're supposed to assume that they're all incapacitated and going to get arrested later and maybe that's something they could have they probably should have shown better because you're right. If he's cavalier about using bomb arrows, why does he feel bad about using a sword? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I took the wrong point away from that because to me watching it a second time, I was like, yo, this is straight up going to murder. Like most of these are going to murder them. Right. And I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I mean, we also have 
Kingpin directly getting shot in the chest with an arrow and then being absolutely wrecked by a car who then just gets right back up. Like maybe I've said like three times on these podcast episodes that this show is very, it has very much comic book action sequences. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe I'm taking it too seriously. Like, I don't know. I, th- I think I don't think you're wrong to take it seriously when they take it seriously when they're talking about Ronan. I think that, yeah, you know, uh, that I think it's a case of them trying to have their cake and eat it because they want to talk about, oh, the, the serious nature of should the heroes kill, but then also have fun comic book trick arrow fight scenes. And I want fun comic book trick arrow fight scenes. And I think that, you know, having the serious conversation about it, about like the killing stuff as Ronan is is good drama too and while I think that the different kinds of violence can coexist in the MCU having them coexist in the same series makes it a little trickier Uh, and you know I think more needs to be made clear uh, when, when you introduce stuff like that so I think that I think that they can coexist in the same TV series but you know, it needs to be more clear what is happening and what isn't happening uh, yeah. so that you don't get that cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Now, that being said, I really like this scene. I think it was really fun to watch. Uh, again, I agree with you with the trick arrow thing. I like watching all this trick arrow stuff. That's one thing that the car chase part was cool in episode three. It, I, again, I think it's the best car chase in the MCU. What really made it for me was seeing all these cool trick arrows that we did not know the functionality of and the characters didn't know the functionality of. This one was almost like it was a almost a one-upping of that scene in, in the sense that they made more trick arrows, they did wilder things, and Kate labeled them. <laughs> Which again comes from the comics, but I think it's isn't it Clint that labels them? Yeah, because he's like, You're not gonna be able to know what these are. It's that same it's that same episode too, or that same issue. It's the car chase issue because every time he fires uh, one of his arrows, there's a panel that shows what the arrow is. And I thought that that was really cool mm-hmm. so that the audience is like cued in. But no, I really like this scene and I'll talk about it more at the end. But I, I think this scene really helped make this probably, in my opinion, the best finale of the Disney Plus series so far. I'm not, dear listener, please don't hurt me. I de- I didn't say it was my favorite finale, but I think it is the best made finale. More on that later. Back to you, Weatherman. All right, more on, more on that later. Kazi again attempts to confront Barton, but is intercepted by Maya. She asks Kazi to abandon Fisk with her, but Kazi says this is his life now, After and the two fight. After a brief struggle, Maya stabs Kazi with a broken arrow, holding him as he dies. Aww. With the tracksuits handled, Kazi, or Kate returns to her mother and finds out Eleanor has left. Meanwhile, Yelena attacks Barton again. As the two fight, with Yelena showing her anger and Clint showing his fatigue, Belova presses Hawkeye over what happened when Natasha Romanoff died. Clint explains Natasha's sacrifice on Voromir and how he tried to stop her, but Yelena calls him a liar and begins savagely beating him. Before she can kill him, Clint shows Yelena that he knows the secret whistle the sisters used to use. Yelena accepts that Natasha and Clint were friends and that Clint is also grieving she also helps Barton off the ice and leaves. Does this not just hear me out here? What if instead of whistle, he just said 
before you do this, just make sure you take care of Martha. Uh, what's the difference? What's the difference here? Um, what do you mean? What's the difference? I mean, I think I'm being okay. I'm being I'm being a little silly here, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the Martha scene for a second now. Okay. The Martha scene, there is an idea behind it that works, and it was executed extremely poorly uh, by making it be their moms have the same name. Uh, when it should have been Batman realizing that Superman has a mother and human people that he cares about and and that being him recognizing the humanity in Superman. Um, so, yeah, a good idea, extremely poor execution. And And I think the difference is that this is, you know, it's not a coincidence. It's not the coincidence of Martha and Martha. It's Clint saying, hey, look, these are... This is how closely I knew Natasha. This is how much we trusted each other that I know about this thing that, you know, this relationship that you two had. And and I think Elena realizing that in that moment by hearing that whistle, I think that worked. It worked for me, at least. Am I suffering from some sort of memory loss? Because I don't remember them having a, a whistle thing it, obviously it had to have come from black widow i don't remember yeah, it, it at all it happens right after rue dies <laughs> yeah that one yeah that one yeah 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 yeah. Oh, okay i don't remember that from black widow at all well, yeah. so when that happened and, then and it like clint broke and, the ice yeah then clint and natasha are like we're both gonna drink the poison so that the capital can't you know have a victor and then they both win you know that makes sense to me yeah <laughs> i have no idea. i don't know you don't remember i don't remember it either, it either. <laughs> To be honest, Chris, do you I'm be honest it? with you guys. I've, I, go ahead. I've just looked it up I, on YouTube. So they first do it in the prologue when they're children. And then later she does it when they are in the wreckage of the Red Room. She does it to find Yelena. Uh, okay. Okay. Be honest with you guys. I saw the movie once in theaters and I have not seen it since. No, not in theaters. I saw it once on Disney Plus and have not seen it since. Same except theaters. I need to watch it again. No, wait. We saw it in do theaters together. To? Yes, we did. I've seen it once in theaters and haven't seen it since. I was going to wait for you to come to that realization. (laughs) I knew you'd get there. Uh, We can talk about Yelena now, though. I mean, she's been great this whole series, but I think there is a lot of emotional payoff for Yelena here. It's very interesting because it now is very clear that the end credit scene of Black Widow was supposed to lead into a Disney Plus show. Do we think that works, Chris? What do you think? The the only problem with it is, and is the minor quibble. Clearly, Elena being hired by by what's her name Eleanor through Fisk, I think through Val. Clearly, that happens during the show, and the post credit scene of Black Widow didn't really look like it was happening in winter. It looked more fall at least, but you know, climate change. I guess that's depressing. But I, th- you know, I think it's neat. You know that. That they would actually use a uh, a movie to tease a TV show. Uh, it really does show that they are connecting these things, and uh, um, you know we'll we'll see it going in the other direction soon when Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness comes out. I I know that I smiled in that post credits trailer for uh, for Multiverse of Madness when he's like, "I'm not here to talk about Westview." I'm like, "Oh, but can't we?" You know, but but just talking about Westview in in the movies, you know, it's it's 
nice to see that they are more or less holding them on equal footing. Uh, you know, so I, I think that's that's cool. Do you guys ever have anybody tell you, you need to watch One Piece? Maybe this has only happened to me, but I've been I was told several times I need to watch One Piece. Uh, for those of you that know, One Piece is a very very long running anime. It's been running since the nineties. It's got over a thousand episodes. Uh, it would take you a very very long time to finally catch up to be. I, I tried. I got to like episode like 500 something and I had to stop. I was like, this is too much. And Are they long episodes? They're like 20 minutes. Still. That's still a, 500 of those still. Right. Lot. Yeah. I watched a lot. It did whatever. But it, I almost feel like the MCU is maybe heading in that direction. I think it is now going to be tougher and tougher. And to be fair, it is tougher and tougher to find people who haven't seen the MCU. Um, but also, say, kids that are growing up right now that haven't seen all the movies, you got to be like, all right, well, where do I start? All right, well, you start with Iron Man. Then you go all the way through these movies. Then you got to watch this TV show. Then you watch this movie. Then you watch this other TV show. Then you watch this movie. And then finally, you're caught up with everything that's going on. I hope that they just continue to have nods and not have things be necessary viewing. Because I think a strength of the MCU is that you can just pick up and watch anything and have a good time. And I don't want them to move so far into having such an interconnected world that we get to the comic point where you're like, all right, I got to read up to this issue and then read issue six over here and then read issue 11 of this one to find the run over here. To like, I don't want that. I want you still just to be able to say, I want to watch loki and enjoy your time watching loki or i want to watch black widow and enjoy your time watching black widow i don't want it to be like unless you're doing a large crossover event that you feel like other things like this are required viewing and they haven't done it yet but it the more we get into it the more i get scared by it this is why and i think we've talked about this um when we were talking about kingpin last time is that what i'm hoping is that this phase is about expanding and branching out so that there will be different storylines for people to follow if they're interested in. And I do think that so far they have done a good job of explaining what you need to know, assuming that someone is a new viewer with the exception of infinity war and Endgame, which you'd be crazy to try to go and see without having some knowledge of everything else anyway. But for the most part, I think you could, you know, watch all the movies with Thor in them and, understand what's going on. Or you could say, I'm going to watch all the movies with Captain America in them. And you'll understand that storyline. And they explain enough of everything else when they introduce new things that you know what's going on. And it's going to be an interesting balancing act. And honestly, you know, bringing it back to Wilson Fisk in introducing him, but not really introducing him. Is actually one of the first times that I think that they've really introduced a character and just kind of expected you to know who he is. I don't. That's not really what I'm trying to say. I don't know. Uh, it's 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 interesting. I mean, we they, we just put out a movie where you had to have watched two other versions of the franchise to fully appreciate it. But I think they also did a good job of making it where I think theoretically it could play for someone who hasn't seen those movies. You know, well, you that movie not... also featured a Daredevil Netflix character. Yes, who yeah. You were expected to be aware of before his appearance, or the effect was not nearly as crazy, right? Yeah. I, you and, imagine and I being guess... in the theater and not knowing who Charlie Cox Daredevil was, and he catches the brick and says, I'm a really good lawyer. 
and you're like this means nothing to me yeah like i i think that theoretically works as a tease of okay this guy has more going on and then he doesn't show up for the rest of the movie but i do think that there is some expectation of in marvel that they're going to introduce characters and bring them back later in something else so i so i think that theoretically worked um but we'll save that for you know a spider-man episode (laughs) yeah it's it's going to be really interesting to see like is it going to get overly complicated in byzantine where where you'll need notes to follow and you're going to need to have a disney plus subscription to understand what's happening in this wide release film i don't know you know or or will they you know continue to try to make things as friendly as possible for new viewers while making sure that you know people who have watched everything can still feel like they're getting something a little more a little deeper out of it it, it it's a difficult trick to pull off and it's something that no one's ever really tried in movies and tv you know and transmedia storytelling like this we've also got to be careful about characters right um we can you can get an effect like i'm thinking um like miss marvel miss marvel's going to get her own little short and then she will in, undoubtedly appear in the marvels how is she going to be written in that movie? Because I don't believe the same director is directing both the show and the movies. Um, and you know, you can you could get you know, Danny famously does not like Thor's depiction in Endgame because it sort of circumvents all of the character, sort of the character arc that he goes through in Thor Ragnarok, and then he becomes a different character in Endgame and Infinity War, and he he doesn't necessarily enjoy that. And I kind of agree with him that the characters are definitely written differently. Because, you know, there are such striking visions. So it's going to be interesting to see how these directors manage all these characters, especially if they are unfamiliar, like if there are close releases like Ragnarok and Infinity War were. How do we get here? Were you going to talk about Yelena? Yeah, I was <laughs> trying to get it to Chris to talk about Yelena and closure, but somehow we ended up all the way over here, but that's fine. <laughs> oh, got, I'm sorry. <laughs> I like um, backed out for a second. I was like, what are we, wait a second. Who? <laughs> yeah, okay. My point here was... <laughs> Is that, you know, break? Yeah, I, I didn't even think about how that related to my actual point. We did our famously, famously which, infamous thing of getting off topic for yeah. a long time. Who, who would have thought? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, a, a weird thing that happens here is that, and I didn't think about this in an interconnected sort of way, but as sort of a how some other things failed sort of way, is that we got more closure on Natasha's death in this show than we did in her own movie or in the movie where she actually died. In the movie where she actually died, we had to move on and get to that Thanos fight so we could have a funeral for Tony Stark. And in her movie, it was a prequel, so we get Yelena at a grave. And it's not until here that we actually get to see Natasha's best friend and Natasha's sister process their grief. And it's a lit. I'm glad we finally got it, but it is weird that it happened in the Hawkeye TV show and not in something that actually had Black Widow in it. And I get the argument that, you know, there was a lot that was happening in Endgame that they couldn't really focus on her death, but it does end that she had a movie coming up. But again, that movie, by making it a prequel, setting it back just after Civil War and before Infinity War, it just really, I don't know, it it felt like we should have really dealt with her death already at this point. I'm glad we did it, and I thought it worked very well, you know, seeing Clint and Yelena go through that and then, you know, come to an understanding 
about how much they both cared about her. It's just a little weird that it didn't happen until now. Yeah, I guess I wasn't thinking that so much in a connected sense as just that why did we wait this long and it happened here? Yeah, I don't, I think you're right. I think it's strange that we're getting it here and I, you know, it's a larger conversation probably to be had about how, you know, Marvel deals with its female characters versus how it deals with its male characters and, you know, there there is maybe a, a much larger conversation there. I think, um, you know, I, I want to believe that Marvel's trending in the right direction, but you can still clearly see there is maybe a little bit of bias. And it's good that we got it here and we got it at all, but it does feel strange that it was in a Hawkeye TV show. I don't know. I think it kind of makes sense. I think it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't have done it sooner but I think this is a fine medium for it because Natasha was such an integral part of both of their shut up tablet. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, dude, this tablet makes all sorts of weird noises and I don't know what they're for. And I have the thing turned all the way down and every so often it still is like, and I'm like, what the, what is that? Tell me what it means. I wish it was like a, a human voice that like email incoming or something like that. Cause I don't know what boop, 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 boop means anytime that it happens. You don't speak Anyways. boobies? <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Boop, boop. Okay. Anyway, save that for the end. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think you, because... you maniac, you just ended the show. Yeah. Oh no. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I guess maybe we don't have to get into it. I just think, they could have done it sooner. They should have done it sooner. I think if they, because they didn't do it sooner and we can't go back, this is a fine place to do it with these two characters being in the same spot and realizing that they care a lot about her. It is weird that all of the best Natasha stuff happens outside of movies with Natasha in them uh, as a whole. Like I, I know a lot of people that think the what-if depictions of Black Widow are the best black widow that we have in the mcu as far as character development and like fairness toward her arc goes so it is kind of weird i agree with that eleanor gets in her car but finds the driver dead and is attacked by the kingpin before he can kill her kate arrives demanding fisk leave her mother alone kate attacks the mob boss but is quickly subdued as fisk approaches her however eleanor runs into him with her car throwing him into a toy store New Hawkeye traps Fisk in the store to keep him from her mother and attempts to fight him, but is no match physically for the gigantic kingpin who throws her around the store and breaks her remaining trick arrows. However, Bishop is able to pull off one of Fisk's cufflinks, and when he steps towards her across the broken arrows, she uses the coin flick trick taught to her by Clint to activate one of the electromagnetic pulse arrows, causing a chain reaction of explosions across the other arrow tips that launches Fisk away and knocks him out. I absolutely love that they brought back the cufflink, that they made that the focus of that scene. That very much felt like a, you know, it was a great payoff for the coin flick trick, but the moment that the camera just lingered on that cufflink for a moment, that was, you know, it made sense in context, but for Daredevil fans, it felt like a a special, you know, shout out. Like, Like, yeah, you know the significance of these. Kate runs to check on her mother, and Eleanor attempts to apologize to her daughter. After ensuring Eleanor is okay, Kate confronts Eleanor over her dealings with Fisk. Eleanor insists this is how the world really works, and Kate thinks she can live her own life without consequences. 
Kate says that she's right as the cops arrive to arrest Eleanor. Eleanor asks, is this what heroes do? Arrest their mothers on Christmas? Kate simply squares her jaw and responds with, I love you, Mom. Am I... What a... Uh, uh, interesting. Before you say whatever you're going to say, Chris, am I a robot for saying that this made me feel literally nothing? I I felt nothing a lot with a lot of sort of the the emotional core of this show, and it felt like it didn't necessarily have one. I think it the I think a lot of what the emotional core of the show is supposed to be is the relationship between Clint and Kate. Um, but because it was so pulled in a hundred different ways, it felt like all of the other small storylines that were happening with Kate and her mother and all of these other things, I felt nothing by the end of it. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it was, but it just didn't, it did nothing for me. I was like, Oh cool. Her mom's gone. Whatever. Let's move on. Like I, I didn't feel like, Oh, like Kate's really going through it here. It was more like, all right, well, you know, her mother was, wasn't really compelling as a, not even a villain. Cause she didn't really, I don't know. Her mom, sure i guess we found out did some bad stuff but was never really like bad and so it was always just kind of weird that she was the like a villain at the time i don't know i think because fisk gets added in you lose a lot of what could have been some really interesting moments between her and her mother that instead happened while they're sitting in front of a car for 45 seconds and then she gets arrested you know, I once again, I love seeing Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk in these moments because I think he's really good as the character. But I just want them to properly use their characters and properly write these things so that we actual we have actual emotional payoff and we actually feel some stuff at the end of these instead of lots of good ideas that sort of mishmash together. Yeah, it felt like this part in particular felt like the OK, we got to wrap things up. This is the last episode. Uh, I do think that the emotional core of the show was Kate and Clint. And when they focused on that, that was when it was at its best. So the real emotional payoff in this episode is Kate joining the Barton family at their home for Christmas. I think that is that w- that worked much better on an emotional level for me than than Eleanor getting arrested. Uh, it just all I could think of was just that line about. Do heroes arrest their mothers on Christmas being like the worst bit of guilt tripping, attempted guilt tripping I've ever seen. You know, we got some gaslighting over here. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Do you want me to wait until Boxing Day? Okay, sure. Like it it just the episode this had. I'm going to disagree with Peaches here. I do feel like this episode had a little bit too much to try to wrap up with new elements that they were introducing in the last episode as well with Kingpin. Uh, So it, it. did feel a little spread thin the all the different many climaxes that happened in this episode where you had to have clinton elena you know you know finishing their storyline uh the fisk stuff kate and eleanor kate and clint kazi and and maya maya and fisk there were so many endings and we did get endings for all of them but again i i feel like we either needed another episode or we needed to condense the first two episodes into one so that we could have another episode to work on all these different storylines, introduce Fisk an episode or two earlier, you know, uh, for real. I don't know. It it just, yeah. So some of those I think the only ones that really landed for me on an emotional level were the Clinton Yelena stuff and then Clinton Kate at the very end. Yeah. Everything else was fine, but it didn't like, you know, hit me in the heart. Yeah. I think, 
And to be honest, I think you could have almost removed some of that stuff. You could have maybe removed a lot of the stuff with, uh, besides plot reasons, you could have removed a lot of the stuff with Kate's mom. You could have removed the Maya stuff. There are ways you could have had the same storyline without those things happening. And I think you could have focused a little more. I think what I want from the Disney Plus shows in general is just a little bit more focus. I want focusing in on the stories that we're trying to tell without trying to have all of these nods and all these little things. And while they are cool, I want to be able to, to, to really feel at the end of these shows. And I feel like a lot of the times there, there's so many different things that I feel like it's not focused enough by the end of it. I think I agree with the lack of focus, but I, I don't know if I am on the same page with not caring about the Eleanor's mom, the dynamic between her and her mom, because the whole series, she is trying to figure out what is going on with the shady aspects of that relationship. And she thinks that it's Jack and she's trying to connect to her mom because she loves her. And her mom this whole time is trying to tell Kate, don't get involved with this hero stuff. You're you're young and you're reckless and you're going to get hurt. And if I'm Kate in this position, I'm thinking my mom cares about me and wants to ensure my safety. And then in this episode, she learned, well, in the previous episode and the beginning of this one, she learns part of the reason her mom doesn't want her involved in this stuff is because she's involved in this shady stuff and she's pulling strings and she's causing dangerous things to happen. And I feel like it's one of those, like it's a heavy moment of betrayal where like my mom has been telling me not to be involved in this stuff because she's been the one operating. And I think that hits a little differently than, you know, just a normal mother daughter relationship would in another in another tale if you will i think maybe they didn't go far enough with this scene but i i don't know i think the relationship between her and her mom is important and emotional because it's it's like a a story of betrayal i mean i think in theory all of that makes sense but i think in practice i don't think they stick the landing like i think that's definitely what they're going for they're going for this betrayal emotional heavy thing going on between Clint and her mother i just don't think they they i don't think they stick the landing yeah i th- i think the problem is that in the setup of this i think they tried to make it a mystery what her role was but also telegraphed too much that she was involved in the bad stuff and they needed to either pick you know, there, I think there are two ways it could have worked. Make her look innocent this whole time. Really make Jack look like the bad guy in this relationship. And then reveal that as a switch that we feel the betrayal. Or make it clear to us, the audience, that yes, Eleanor is part of this. And then we have dramatic irony for this series where we know that Eleanor is bad or involved in bad things. Kate doesn't. And then we get the you know, to spend this whole series going, oh, when is the other shoe going to drop? And I think that could have worked really well as well. But they did this sort of this half thing where it was both obvious but never stated. And I think that's why it didn't land for us, because we don't feel anything about this reveal. We just have to know that, oh, Kate hurts because of this. But, you know, if they'd played it either of those other ways, I think that this scene would have hit a lot differently. Well, I don't know how to answer your question about whether you're a robot, 
but I can, if you want, compile about nine to 16 images and ask you how many traffic lights are in those images. That's a good point. If that will help you, I don't know. I think it will. I think it will. Thank you. That'll that'll help capture your <laughs> your question. <laughs> Fisk escapes before he can be arrested, but is confronted in a back alley by Maya. Fisk attempts to tell Lopez the two of them are family, but she angrily points a gun in his face. The camera cuts away, and two gunshots are heard. After the events, the two Hawkeyes discuss everything. Clint tells Kate that every once in a while, you come across someone who just makes you better. He tells her taking on the kingpin by herself and walking away is a big deal and that he is very proud of her. Barton makes it home for Christmas to the excitement of his family and is joined by Kate and Lucky the pizza dog. I need to, I need to confess something here. I don't think this is a Christmas story. And let me extrapolate on this because I have a strong strong opinion here that just because your work of fiction takes place on Christmas, a Christmas story it does not make. I think this story has almost nothing to do with Christmas except that it takes place on Christmas and a couple times in the first two episodes we hear, Dad, will you make it home in time for Christmas? But besides that, it has almost nothing to do with Christmas and therefore is not a Christmas story. You just triggered every diehard fan ever. Good. They're all coming to fight you. What what does make a Christmas story then? Like what what needs to happen for a Christmas story to be a Christmas story? I don't know. There to be stuff about Christmas and the spirit of Christmas. Christmas Do we have to watch Jesus be born? No, no, but there has to be like Christmas has to you be involved the in drums. the story, right? We there has to be some like integral part of the story that is about christmas and i know by my own definition that would make this a christmas story because he's trying to get home by christmas but not really right it's not actually a focus of the show it's this little side thing that you're told at the beginning and the end and you're like aha it's a christmas story i i gave you christmas bread on the outside so it's a christmas story it's 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 a christmas setting which is fine i think a christmas setting for a non-christmas story is is absolutely fine and you know kind of fun and different not something you, i mean die hard iron man 3 whatever you know there are some things that will be set around christmas and will use christmas as part of the story but it's not a christmas story you know you're not gonna sit down and watch it like you watch rudolph the red-nosed reindeer every christmas or charlie brown or the grinch or something and and I, I don't think it's a, I don't know if you are making a value judgment on this. I don't think it's a bad thing that it's not a Christmas story. No. And I think it's fine that it's a Christmas set story. I think that made it, you know, fun and different from other Marvel things, except for Iron Man 3, I guess. But, but yeah, yeah, I didn't no, really I consider this a, a Christmas story, nor I didn't consider it the movie a Christmas story, nor did I consider it a story primarily about christmas i just like chris said i i thought it was the setting more than anything i think my my only problem with that is before the show came out it was definitely marketed that first trailer we saw was definitely marketed as oh actually this is a hawkeye christmas hallmark type movie right it is a, it's a story about christmas and that's not necessarily what we got so maybe my point is a larger point about misleading marketing and that's, you know, a different point. But 
I think it stands the same that I'm saying that this isn't necessarily a Christmas story, even though it takes place on Christmas. And that's a larger conversation to have about lots of other stories, Die Hard included, that while they take place on Christmas, aren't necessarily Christmas stories. Now, Jingle All the Way, absolutely a Christmas movie. Clint gives Laura back the recovered shield-issued Rolex from the first episode, showing the number 19 on the back. Chris, talk about Agent 19 before I say some other not nice things about this show. All right, yeah. I um, I mean, I've been on the record as saying that I didn't think that they should reveal that Laura was secretly a shield agent or something, and they revealed that Laura was secretly a shield agent. Okay, fine. I, I mean, I guess it makes sense that, you know, where is Clint Barton going to meet people? It's going to be at Shields because, you know, people, I mean, I met my wife at work, so I, I get it. Whatever. It, it's fine. It's it's it is what it is uh, to talk a little bit about Agent 19. Agent 19 in the comics is the designation of Bobby Morse, Mockingbird, Clint Barton's wife for a long time in the comics. And I said earlier that. You know, I was hoping they wouldn't reveal that, oh, she was secretly Mockingbird because I liked Bobby Morse on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'd like to keep that door open. I know, you know, now they're bringing back Netflix things. I would love for them to start bringing in some elements from the ABC show as well, you know, because I, I really enjoyed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, canon is a silly thing. I I do think canon is silly. Uh, you know, getting too caught up on on it is, you know, a fool's errand because it's all made up anyway. It's all stories. I will point out, though, that they have not precluded themselves from bringing back the Age of the Shield version of Bobby Morse because they never called her Mockingbird or Agent 19 on Agents of Shield. She was just Bobby Morse. And, you know, while they could in the future reveal that, oh, Laura Barton also changed her name when she quit Shield and she was originally Bobby Morse. They haven't done that yet because I saw some people going, oh, OK, this proves Age of the Shield isn't canon. One, who cares? Uh, two, it doesn't actually prove anything yet because they haven't contradicted anything. I, you know, if they ever do stuff down the line, if they ever explore this story avenue a little bit more, I think it would be fun if they revealed that Agent 19, Laura, whatever her maiden name was, was the head of the Mockingbird Shield program that was set up in opposition to the Black Widow program that Russia had set up, then, and Bobby Morse was part of that as well, and they connect the characters that way, I think that could be fun if they ever decide they want to bring back that version of Bobby. Or maybe they'll just never do anything. Or maybe they will retcon it and say, yeah, forget Age of the Shield. Whatever. You know, still a good show. I still enjoyed it. You know, that's really all. Just kind of a rambling, you know, set of 10 different thoughts. I was so busy worrying about all the other loose threads of this show that I completely forgot that we had this loose thread, the loosest of threads that was added into a bunch of episodes that probably didn't need to be in and was literally just added in so that we could nod, nod, wink, wink at the end. And I don't like that in my storytelling. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't, I don't think it is effective anymore. I think I am starting to realize that I have a problem with Marvel just adding things in to be like, huh, huh, you know, hey, see, see. Like, I just, I think they had, they had started to come into a, a, a version of Marvel where that is sort of, it's starting to feel like that is the purpose of these things rather than fun little extras. You know, that they are made with the intent of, we need to get to this point where we nod here and wink here rather than 
we are adding in these fun little nods and winks for fun and you know maybe to tease something later on uh i i i I guess i'm just saying i don't like the direction it's heading yeah i I don't know what this particular reveal adds to the show at all right i don't know what it adds to the quote-unquote future of the mcu it it just didn't really do anything for me and and you know i I'm not at the point where I'm worried yet about, oh, this is all they're going to be doing now is hinting towards the future. Because that's a complaint that comes around a lot that I think has not always been valid. Or that it's, oh, it's all Easter eggs. It's all, you know, comic explainers. And I do think that for the most part, it hasn't been as bad as people like to say it is. But, you know, when the... You know, one of the final shots of your show is revealing a watch with the number 19 on it. That doesn't mean... I didn't even notice the number 19 uh, on that watch. I was so distracted by, did they just kill Kingpin? No, they can't have, right? Um, so I was like, uh, fine, whatever. I, I hope that... Yeah, it, it, that just felt like an Easter egg for the sake of an Easter egg that was really, really focused on to the point where it's quite confusing for most people and and they've been much more artful about things like that before and i hope that this is just a one-off blunder and not you know what they're going to be doing from now on i like i said i'm not worried about that yet but you know we'll see yeah i think that my problem with the watch is more that the whole plot focus on the watch just felt messy because it didn't seem like a big deal for a couple of episodes, and then it was a big deal for one episode, and then they stopped talking about it for a couple more episodes, and now in the last one, it's like, hey, I got your watch back. Like, why do we Why do we care? I, I think I'm supposed to care maybe because of this. Like, look, Linda Cardellini's character is more important than we've said. Does that mean we're going to get more Linda Cardellini, Cardellini in the future? I don't really know, but the whole watch plot was just so all over the place. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't, that's the only real plot issue that I have with this series is that I didn't ever care about the watch. And also maybe I'm being naive here, but who cares if someone else gets that watch? It has the number 19 on the back. What are they going to be able to do with that watch? How, what, 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 inferences are they going to be able to make when they yeah what information was loaded onto that watch that they just yeah couldn't give to someone well i don't know we saw that somehow maya had been using this watch to find out about clint's family and i don't understand how that worked either right Um, it's not like you get a watch engraved and you're like all right hey um on the back of this watch for my wife i want you to put her former occupation um the most dangerous one the names of all of the children that she has produced and also the home address. Put that all on the back of the watch just in case someone finds it, then they know who to return it to. You, you got like a, a a website link on the back of the watch that lists the paragraphs of information about these people. I don't like how much information can... Uh, I guess there's something to be said that if it's a shield watch, maybe it's more techie than it made itself look because to me it looks like a bad Rolex um, <laughs> I just don't know why I should care about it. And, and the series or the first season's over. And I don't think we're ever going to hear about the watch again. So I don't really care about it, but they, they tried to very, in my opinion, poorly make us care about a watch 
that didn't really have any real significance other than this weird Easter egg that doesn't actually probably matter. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's an interesting choice. After he and Kate head outside to set fire to the Ronin costume while Kate workshops superhero names. Yeah, hold on. Why do they light the costume on fire that he's worried about tarnishing his reputation, but they don't destroy the watch that got out of Laura's hands and into the hands of the enemy who was able to discern her family members' names? Why don't they destroy the watch, but they destroy the suit? Okay. Why did Maya <laughs> care about the watch unless she knew that it was connected to Ronan? Because she didn't even know Hawkeye was Ronan. Right. Because her her whole thing was she was laser focused on Ronan, so I don't even know why she cared about the watch. Uh, I feel like the watch was something watch that sucked. maybe they decided was going to be a plot point, and then nobody elaborated on it. Elaborated it. I cannot speak today. It was nobody it was like decided one MacGuffin too many. Yeah, why we didn't need it. It was unnecessary. I haven't seen the Eternals yet, but I like to think at one point Jon Snow is there. And he's got a Rolex, and it runs out of battery, and then he says, my watch has ended. (laughs) The episode ends with the reveal that Clinton Martin has an actual, well-worn, Texas-style offset wood smoke, wood-burning smoker, completely redeeming him as a person. Thank you, Robbie, for writing those notes. Thank you. And then what I will say is a divisive post credit scene. I will say it is divisive because a lot, there are people that really liked it and there are people that really didn't like it. We get the full performance of the Battle of New York section from Rogers the Musical. Chris, how did you feel about it? I thought it was fun. I thought it could have been a post credit scene of the first episode. I thought it lost some of its power because they had already released the full audio of the song on Spotify and other platforms already so i'd already heard the whole song you know a few times uh it was fun to see i mean it it's it's fine uh i'm not bothered by it i wasn't overly impressed by it either but but it was it was a fun thing i'm glad that the full musical number you know was shot and released and and that's fine i felt weird about it uh, I, I don't I, I don't know where Eduardo sits on this, but I felt weird about you know what's weird? Uh, a it was cringy. I'm not I like musicals just fine. I don't like I, I I wouldn't say it's a part of my personality. Like I don't go out of my way to see musicals, but I enjoy the ones that I've seen and I wouldn't you know, if someone suggested going to see one, I'd probably go see it. I like the ones that I've seen. But that number made me cringe. Especially when part of the point of this series was trying to convince the audience whether that was effective for people or not. I don't know that Hawkeye is a hero, not because he has powers, but because of the person he is and that sort of thing. And in this musical number, when Steve Rogers uh, actor is singing the introduction to all the characters and like what they bring to the squad, I don't remember the exact lyrics, but he's like, and Hawkeye's here. And everyone else gets a full introduction, but Hawkeye's is, that guy is also on the team. Next. (laughs) And it's just a weird, it's another weird juxtaposition to have in your show about how great Hawkeye is. And then they're like, he's, he's, uh, yeah, we have him on the team. Yeah, I, 
I thought it was fine, but if you're going to have an entire show where you do all of these nods and winks and have all these characters come back and have all these little Easter eggs that you have, and then you're not going to do a true Marvel post credit scene, come on. I found the lyrics. Hulk is incredible, smashing things up while Iron Man takes to the sky. Captain America strong, and that Thor is a god, and Lord knows they're easy on the eyes. Black Widow's a knockout who can knock you out, and when Ant-Man flies, you won't hear a sound. While Hawkeye seems cool, like a really nice guy. We just wish that New York wasn't the battleground. Why? Why does he get the... I think that's... He's I mean, it's, it's on purpose, because they're trying to like make a... Like, I think it's supposed to be one funny because I think people generally talk like Hawkeye, like, oh, it's just Hawkeye. And also, Hawkeye kind of deals with that information himself, right? Like, we have it be a whole storyline with, like, Kate talking about how he has a branding issue and how people don't know who he is. And he's like, well, I don't want people to know who I am. And I think it's supposed to be funny and, you know, I, they definitely did it on purpose. Like, they were trying to be funny there. But... Oh, yeah. Maybe it makes more sense that I'm... I'm just not thinking about it in the right way, but I just found that whole thing cringe. I agree with Chris. It should have been a, maybe they're just going with the structure that they've had with the other Disney plus episodes and not putting post-credit scenes in any episode, except for the last one for the most part. But I didn't, I didn't learn anything new from this and it just made me wish it was something else. Well, how do we think this affects the future of the MCU? Where do we think this is going? Uh, hopefully more Elena and Kate team ups. Yeah, that's more than anything out of this show. That's what I want. Yeah, I'd love a second season. I wonder what they'll do with um, Jeremy Renner. It seems like maybe he'll be in like a like a mentor capacity, kind of what it seems like they're doing with Hulk. Where he's like he's not gone because he's not a character that died of the original Avengers, but still here every so often. Perhaps is Elena in some of the movies. The first Marvel sidekick, not Elena, excuse me, is uh, Kate the first Marvel sidekick? The first true Marvel sidekick? You could, there's an argument. You could argue Bucky, I guess. You could argue Bucky. Bucky, you can argue War Machine. But I think both of those characters are seen as partners and not sidekicks. It definitely feels like a mentor-mentee relationship with Hawkeye and Kate hero and sidekick which is not something that has been explored in the mcu very much but it is clearly very prevalent in the comic books i what i think could come from this is if there is a season two i think it's going to be you know i i would like to see more of clint and kate together and i think it should be kate really coming into her own and clint having to deal with the fact that you know she's fine without me you know, we're great together, but she's fine without me. And, you know, maybe him struggling with that, you know, where he sees her as a sidekick. She sees them as partner, you know, and and he said, you know, I think he, he respects her as a partner. But I think that there's going to be because he's a dad, too. I think he could still end up seeing her as I don't want to say less than, but, you know, him as the leader of their partnership. And her wanting it to be more equal and, you know, them coming to that understanding over the course of season two. I think that could be a, you know, a great uh, way to explore that, you know, sidekick or partner. So season MVPs, I'm sorry, episode rating. Let's do it this way. Episode rating. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. We're going to rate the last episode of Hawkeye. 
I, I overall enjoyed enjoyed this episode. Um, we've you know talked about a lot of issues that we had with it, but overall, I thought it was fun that the big fight in the Rockefeller Center uh, ice skating rink was great. Uh, even though we had our issues with Kingpin, it was really great just seeing D'Onofrio back in in that suit playing that character again. So overall, I you know I enjoyed it. Eight Hawaiian shirts out of ten. Uh, how about you, Eduardo? I thought it was just okay. I don't know. I wasn't as satisfied as I think the two of you were with it and the show as a whole. I thought it was just okay. Like it, it, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like outstanding. I think we've had a lot of really outstanding Marvel stuff recently, especially very recently. And so this just seems sort of middle middle of the pack for me. So I gave it this the the episode seven shots to the face out of ten. What about you, Peach? Ouch! That's like five more shots than we heard know, to the I face. Know. Uh, no, I, you know, what I said earlier about this being the best finale, uh, or the, whatever I said, what did I say? Let me read it. Yeah, the best made finale. I I think even even if we didn't necessarily like the way that things were tied up, I think that they did tie up most of the storylines, which is not something that they've done in most of these finales of the Disney Plus series. And I think most of the, the reason I think it was the best made was because it was paced basically the same as all of the other episodes. And that was my, that's been my problem with a lot of the other finales. WandaVision was a thousand miles an hour. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a little closer, but still a thousand miles an hour. Loki, the opposite direction, also probably my favorite finale, but it was like three miles an hour on the highway. Whereas this was, it felt like it was in line with the rest of the series. It didn't feel like they were like, ah, we forgot about these 85 things, shove them all in. So I think that it was at least the best paced. And I had fun watching a lot of the action scenes. So I gave the episode eight wet Hampton pants out of 10. So what about the series? We remember What about the series. Chris, what are you going to rate the series? Hawkeye. I had enough fun with it that, um, I'm going to give it eight never seen boomerang arrows out of 10. I still got a complaint in with my, my actual rating. I really wanted those boomerang arrows to show up. How about you? I gave it 7.5 bros out of 10 peach. What about you, bro? Yeah, I, I gave, I also gave it eight fun comic adaptations out of 10. I agree with what you guys said and I want a season two. It'll be cool to see season two. MVPs, Chris, I, I got to you know, I think Clint is close, but I got to give it to Kate Bishop, who episode one was like, I want more of this character. She's great. Uh, so, yeah, Kate Bishop. Very excited to see her um, doing more stuff in, in the future. How about you, Eduardo? Yeah, definitely Kate Bishop with a special honorable mention to Lucky the Pizza Dog. Uh, maybe the strongest character of them all. Uh, can I get a scene with Lucky the Pizza Dog and um, Cosmo? Yes. Oh, buds. I would love to see that. Peach, what about you? That's cute. No, it's, I mean, it's not really a question, right? It's Kate Bishop. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think Robbie, if he were here on this episode with us, he'd say Kate Bishop. Also, I don't really think most people wouldn't say Kate Bishop. If Yelena were in it more, she would probably be second for me because she's just so fun to watch anytime that she's on screen. She, if she was on there uh, more, but, she might be first for me. Like, I think she's yeah, dead. And, yeah. But, Haley Steinfeld can do no wrong. Takes over the screen when when she's there. Yeah, Yeah. but no, in this series, Kate Bishop, Haley Steinfeld is amazing. Uh, Series rankings. What's your Disney Plus series ranking, Chris? 
All right, as I alluded to earlier, I've got WandaVision, number one. Then I got Loki. Number three, I got Hawkeye. What if? And then, of course, bring up the rear of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think I've got Loki first and then WandaVision, but you could honestly ask me tomorrow and those might switch. Like, those are so neck and neck for me. I like them both a lot. Then it's Hawkeye, What If, and sadly, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Man, I I feel like I want to go back to Falcon and the Winter Soldier and give it another chance now that all the episodes are out and I'm not watching it on a weekly basis. Like, I wonder if it is better once you just watch it all together. I've heard that 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 it does play better if you watch it all at once. So I don't know. You still have about half a roster of wasted characters, though. I You're think. Not wrong. Yeah, it's interesting how much we align on our series ranking, but we like have such different opinions about things episode to episode. Because I have the exact same order that Chris said: WandaVision, Loki, Hawkeye, What If, Falcon, and. Like Eduardo said, I could exchange WandaVision and Loki at the drop of yeah. a hat. I guess it just depends on what I'm in the mood for. They're both amazing. Uh, so what do you guys think we're going to see next? Um, I think what probably Miss Marvel is the next slated one. It's the only one that has a more specific release date than 2022 because Miss Marvel has said summer 2022. Right. And then we got She-Hulk so, and so. Moon Knight that are the next other two that are seem like they're the closest. Yes, I believe those are all slated for this year. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode, and we need to talk to you listeners for just a moment. We've been doing this show for, what, almost two years at this point? It's yeah. It's been going on for, for quite some time. we got a lot of episodes under our belt, but life has taken us in a lot of different directions, and um, we wanted to let you guys know that we're going to be taking a little bit of a hiatus for a little while. There's going to be a little bit of a break. We're going to try to do a big Spider-Man No Way Home episode, but there's definitely going to be a little break in content. We're going to keep everything that we have up open. We're going to keep all the episodes up on there for you. We're going to keep the Patreon open if you'd like to, but you're, you know, obviously if we're not putting out episodes, if you feel like you need to take down your subscription or move it to a lower level, we completely understand. Um, we definitely all just need a little bit of a break this past pandemic year with all the Disney plus shows coming out one after another. And then all the movie releases definitely, uh, wore us out a little bit so we need to we need to recharge at least for a little while until whatever big marvel thing happens next um so you might hear some silence for a while there's a chance there could be an episode or two that kind of pops in every once in a while but hopefully we'll have more information for you once the next big marvel thing comes out about where the show's headed next but we do appreciate everyone who has listened so far we we love uh, all the the connections that we've gotten from every single one of you so thank you so much for listening if this is the last time you hear from us i don't think it will be um but i think that's going to do it for us for now so it's going to be for me for peaches for chris and for robbie even though he's not here we love you 3000 bye everybody excelsior Hydra. bubbly bubbly
out of here and we'll, we'll talk what about this later. Fuck, Evan, we're down two points. Fucking calm down, Greg. It's soccer. It's soccer. Fuck you, man. Hey, Greg, why don't you go piss your pants again? That was like eight years ago, asshole. People don't forget. <laughs>